Forum Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North, citizens of the world. Welcome to Forum Borealis. Folks, let me test your familiarity with our channel. What is the red thread throughout our shows? Spiritual stuff? False. High strangeness? Nope. Conspiration affairs? No, no, no. It's simply what Bella says. Paradigm expansion. This gives us a free pass to all sorts of areas. And it doesn't mean that it has to be outlandish, exceptional, or innovative focus. Sometimes basic education can be paradigm-challenging enough, especially on subject matters which are myth-ridden. And that's the clue for today's program. We continue with the Norse series we've more or less stumbled into, and this show should really be the first of of the series, since we go through fundamental matters concerning Vikings, Norse traditions and paganism, and yes, we're even touching the popular TV series. And obviously I had to dig up a genuine Viking for the role as my partner in crime for this conversation, a compatriot called Tur Alptirdaler. I suppose I should be kind enough to pronounce it in English, for Elptir Dollar, who runs his own YouTube channel, focusing solely on what the show today deals with. Indeed, most of the topics we touch today are expanded upon by him in his videos. And as long-time listeners know, usually we go deep and zoom in on one particular topic, but today is more of a laid-back and light show where we browse through theme after theme, yet just as educating as you're used to. But before we start our raid, let me introduce Mr. Alptir Dell to you. His excellent YouTube channel is dedicated to exploring the evidence of magic, rituals and religion in the Norse world, sprinkled with general cultural and Viking stuff. Thor hails from Westfold in Norway, but has grown up both here and USA. His formation in the Norse stuff started already as a kid, and he's read almost all the sagas, mind you, there's hundreds of them, so that's quite the feat. He's currently learning all the Norse so that he can read them without translations. It's probably an advantage, then, that he has a bachelor degree in languages from the University of Agder. His research for the degree was Norse influence in the English language, which could be a single show in itself for those of us nerdy enough to find that interesting. His master degree was from Furtwangen University in Germany in international relations and economy. He's worked in factory, in sales, as a DJ and producer, but his real passion is martial arts, which he's currently pursuing at a professional level. 
He's competed in mixed martial arts, boxing and jiu-jitsu, where he's won world championship for white belts and several regional championships for blue belts. He's training in the famous Black House Gym in Los Angeles, where he currently resides due to his martial arts passion, as well as options for music and online sales. He's lived in England, the Greek island Rhodes, and in Berlin, Germany, where he was influenced by the techno scene. Indeed, he's dabbling in music too, which can be found on YouTube and SoundCloud, and later this year also at Spotify. Thor Elptirdaler has recently also started an online shop called Norse Combat Sportswear, featuring designs of various Nordic symbols on the equipment and clothes. He's a member of some homestead groups and is formating his own with the goal of acquiring a big farm for a small eco-village, being 100% independent and off the grid. The dream is to maintain a small community living like people did thousand years ago. Quite a noble aim, God's willing. Welcome to Forum Borealis Thor. Yep, yep, thank you for having me here. Yeah, so uh, let me ask you first, uh, is this the first time uh, you've been interviewed? Yeah, yeah, first ever podcast. Cool. <laughs> I've been watching them for many years, but this is the first one I've been on. Great, which is kind of weird because uh, you have a lot of work out there. How long have, have you uh, been going yourself? Oh, just a year. Just a year. I made the channel a little bit more than a year ago. Yeah. Complete newbie. Yeah. I found you via your YouTube channel. Do you have also a podcast? No, no. So some people have been asking me to start one. I, I might. I, uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Lots of people doing really well on podcasts today. So uh, yeah, that's uh, thinking about that for sure. It's the new Klondike. YouTube is completely <laughs> broken and rigged and, and destroyed. So <laughs> very hard to make it. But oh, I will say you've done a fairly good job uh, despite the obstacles. Now, I've invited you on today because two reasons, basically. Number one, as you probably noticed yourself, uh, at least your YouTube channel is a testament to the fact that... It's like a renaissance interest in these things now. Norse, Vikings, all that stuff. I didn't even know. I just discovered it accidentally when I had some shows about it. <laughs> and I found, I thought originally this is going to be so obscure. Mostly Norwegians will be interested in this, but <laughs> I get much more, especially America, you probably discover that. Yeah, yeah. So that's number one, right? Number two is that I stumbled over your stuff. And usually when I see stuff like this, it is either embarrassing, yeah. like, oh, they get so much things wrong that it's just, oh my God. Yeah, they're either inept or it's like propaganda where they have an agenda, so they want to spin it to a particular kind of approach. Yeah, yeah. But it's so refreshing because your channel, uh, I really recommend it to folks, is pretty, first off, you have a kind of a spiritual perspective. And you also have a very healthy attitude, very wise. Like I'm convinced your attitude on these things are similar to the ancients had. Oh. And I know something about this because I've been dabbling in paganism myself for centuries. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's a very good information. You are uh, well educated on this. And I guess my first question would be, well, uh, it's a twofold question. Uh, number one, 
how long have you been interested in Norse and Viking traditions and stuff like that? Uh, and how have you um, kind of educated yourself in it? That's number one. And number two, why did you set up a channel about it? Yeah, <laughs> the why I set up the channel is exactly like you said, just on the internet is full of absolute garbage people talking about Viking history and Norse history and especially Norse uh, spirituality and they're just yeah. really making up lies, <laughs> most of them. So that's why I started the channel, just to kind of put some truth out there. But um, mm. yeah, for education, since I could read, pretty much been reading sagas, all these books, uh, myths, um, pretty much everything. So it's been an interest since I was a baby, pretty much since I could uh, learn to read. So um, I just found the knowledge that I had. I am definitely not the definitely not one of the most knowledgeable people in the world but when you compare me to all the lies that are out there on yeah. youtube and the internet um, i know a lot more than them at least so that's uh it's a low bar indeed yeah, exactly but did you just say that you've been consuming this kind of stuff since you were a baby yep since since i of course mother telling the stories before i could read and then wow. as soon as i could read <laughs> reading them myself nice so your parents had an interest already yeah yeah Mm. So that's the way it should be, you know, get it uh, with uh, mother's milk, <laughs> so yeah, to yeah. speak. I think that's how it is for most people, most Scandinavians, at least their parents will tell them at least one bedtime story, right? Uh, about the Norse gods and myths. Oh, I think you're overestimating our... Uh, uh, maybe, maybe. Our brothers and sisters, because uh, I, I've been saying for a long time that the Norway is probably the most disconnected of them all. I blame oil, by the way. <laughs> Iceland, completely different matter. Like I told you in a mail, in Iceland, they actually have living traditions still. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can say it's somewhat polluted by either by Christianity, but good thing their Christianity was always a conspiracy to preserve the mystery. So if you know how to maneuver through that layer, you can get to the purer stuff. That's number one. Number two. Mm, exactly. Right. And number two, much is degenerated so that much meaning is, is lost. But the good thing is that when it comes to symbolism, if you just have the key to the symbols, you can unlock them, even if it's been millennia since anyone got there. So so that's a good thing. Plus, uh, and like you say in many of your videos, you can deduct a lot of truths by studying other survival sources because they all had like a common theme. They all only had different developments, cultures, language, symbolism approaches, but you can kind of fill some holes in one tradition by studying an other and a third. Exactly. Do you agree with that? Exactly. Yep. It's uh, that's what I, what I'm most interested in right now. There's not so much more that I can read about the Norse sources, but uh, there's these holes everywhere, and you don't know where some of these answers come from. But if you look to some other foreign spiritualities that are very related, you can uh, you can fill in the blanks on both sides, so they can all work together, and you see that they weren't that different uh, originally. Right. Agreed. Now. Let's start on the most superficial level and we can dig ourselves deeper and see how deep we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and most of these things we're going to discuss, folks, you will find on Thor's channel. Uh, the channel's called um, uh, Norse Magic and Beliefs. That's it. So that's exactly what you get Norse Magic and Beliefs. You get a lot of good videos on it. Some are, are long, uh, very short, which is 
suitable for most people today. So unfortunately, go a little more in depth. But let's start, like I said, at the most superficial level. Well, I think it's a truism that the movie Vikings has contributed a little. Not just that, of course, but it's kind of a symbol of this new renaissance interest so i want to start with that actually okay uh, and it's not important if people hasn't seen that because it's trying to portray historical characters because it's kind of obscure like kattegat where the hell is that we know that's the <laughs> sea between norway and sweden so they they kind of i think they kind of saved themselves instead of saying explicitly these guys are norwegians or yeah. these guys are danish they kind of did a both and thing but yeah. where would you say that the main characters in Vikings actually are from, as far as we know. Yeah, it's difficult. Anybody who has been to Norway, they see the fjords in the TV show and they say, oh, okay, that is not Denmark. That's not Sweden. That is Norway. <laughs> exactly. As soon as you look at the fjords. But uh, yeah, most of the history they they take from the Icelandic sagas and Danish sagas. They don't really... Uh, they're not really clear. And then they he comes in contact with some other kings that were very uh, real, uh, King Hordik and uh, Jarl, uh, what's that Norwegian guy's name um, in the TV show, the Norwegian actor. Um, but yeah, he, he was a Swedish king, so they, they kind of, they kind of... Oh yeah, uh, that guy, I know who you mean, yeah. Yeah, yep. the guy with the, the, the beard, I forget his name now in the show. But um, So they put us a Norwegian to play a Swede. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Typical, because they have very few Scandinavians in that show. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. have some. Mostly Danes and Swedes. Yeah. And uh, who's uh, playing Floki? That's a Swedish actor, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's Swedish. That's uh, Skarsgård, one of those brothers. Right, right. Famous from the father. Yeah. But uh, let's start with Ragnar. Yeah. Ragnar Lothbrok. Yeah. Uh, what do we know about him? Yeah, so the the sources are all scattered. And I just released a video about this earlier in the week, too. Everybody, of course, wants to claim Ragnar as their own. And it's very right because the sources um, say different things. Some of them say he's Norwegian with a Danish father, a Swedish mother, some uh, Swedish born in Sweden, but Danish father. So, yeah, we, we're not quite sure. We're not even sure um, if he really existed or if he was perhaps many different people. That was probably mm. more likely. That's what the historians agree upon. But um, yeah, at least most of the evidence points to him being uh, Danish, mm. at least Danish lineage. What about his so-called brother, Rollo? Who, yeah, uh, yeah. Rollo came 100 or more years later. Like, he was a real... Uh, right, right, he was right. A real, uh, and also, but by the way, this is important to know because we covered the invasion of the Normanners into the Danelaw area of England. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the descendants of Rollo. Or, yeah. or those Vikings. But uh, where was he from? Uh, they, they think Norway. Mm. They think Norway. Um, again, not sure they would call all of these people Norse in, uh, in old times, but they, they're pretty sure it's Norway. His, uh, Hrilf was his name. Gang Hrilf. He was uh, said yeah. to be so big that he had to walk. That was, was where he got his nickname from because a horse couldn't carry him. <laughs> right, right, right. Gang Hrilf, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, there is another guy there called... Uh, uh, I think he was played by a Norse man, um, Harald Hofagra, what yeah, do they yeah. say in English? Yeah, uh, yeah. so he, he was absolutely Norwegian, but um, the, I think the actor is German, actually. Yeah, yeah, uh, sorry, Harald Herfer. Yeah, yeah. Harald Herfer. Uh, Harald yeah. Fair, yep. The, the actor is, I think, German, right? But uh, yeah, mm. Harald uh, Fairhair is absolutely Norwegian. We know that he was uh, he was the first king that kind of unified the country. 
Right. And um, I, I also think half of the Norwegian citizens can track their genetic lineage back to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which tells you how active he was. <laughs> I think he had uh, 27, 28 kids or something like that. Right. Yeah, he was like uh, our version of uh, Genghis Khan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's the one who has spread most genes on Earth. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, for our case, it's him. So uh, what about Lagatha? Is she even historic? Yeah, she was in one saga. Um, I forget which one now. It might be uh, Gesta Danorum, uh, a Danish uh, chronicle. Um, so yeah, again, that's... Um, we're not quite sure she was probably real, but um, yeah, she was just in one kind of inaccurate account. So we're not sure about her. I see. So uh, and then we, of course, have to go through the sons because they are tied into very uh, important events. That I, I will give the movie uh, or the TV series the kudos that they've been good in finding excuses to tie in important historical events yeah, yeah. although they violate the timeline many places they have to right yep. but they, they they tied it in so let's start with the sons say the names and then where where they were from and when they lived as far as you know yeah that's uh, that's all difficult too that's uh, <laughs> different sources say different things again most of them point to them being of a danish origin um but, but the sources say different things we know bjorn went to sweden and he, he became a king there uh, his burial mound is still there, so we know he was a uh, Swedish king for sure. Evard mm. uh, uh, was uh, went to England with uh, the, the big army, um, but then he kind of lost. And the, the rumor was that he uh, he pops up in some Irish chronicles a bit later on in time, and he uh, he became a king there and, and was eventually killed. Oh wow! Uh, I think Sigurd uh, went east. Sigurd Snake in the Eye went east. Um, uh, what are the East means uh, yeah. Turkey, Russia. Yeah, yeah, towards the east of Europe, uh, maybe uh, Ukraine, um, down the Volga River, uh, things like that. Mm. I'm not quite sure what happened to him. Uh, was there any more? Uba. Uh, yeah, and then there's the guy who they uh, portray going to the west to America. Yeah, yeah, that was Uba then. Yeah, see, he he definitely didn't go to America. Nothing in the sources about that, but um, yeah, yeah definitely others did. But uh, his name nowhere comes up in, in any of those sources. But is it true that, uh, according to the myth, that Ragnar wanted to go west? Mm, I'm not sure. Because I remember he was portrayed as, in the beginning, I mean, they portrayed it as if people didn't even know England existed. Yeah, yeah. That's outrageous. Like, we're pr- yeah. completely primitive, uh, you know, isolated, uh, haven't heard about anything. Like, there's no history before Ragnar. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course they knew. They, well, they have found evidence of this in archaeology, that they had been trading with the... British Isles for hundreds of years before that. So, uh, yeah, they, they knew where England was and they knew uh, they knew where they were going. Indeed. And they have, uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of ties. We're going to get to that. Uh, now, in uh, the few shows we've had so far, we've had one show covering Templars in America that shows that they are uh, following an older Viking tradition. In fact, this was mm. directly inherited to them because... Many of these Templars were Norwegians and Swedes. And this happened after the Black Plague, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, that Norwegian and Swedish uh, Templars went to, to America. So we've had that. And we've also seen how Vikings prior to them, like they was very active. Uh, some went for fishing, actually. 
We've also seen how Norway was actually, uh, no, we haven't had that show yet, but I've announced it. We're going to have a show. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book called The Viking Serpent. No, no. In Norwegian, it's called uh, The Norske Pentagram. And uh, I know the author, He's he has some explosive discoveries, for example, much indications that we were actually questioned by Celtic Church, not the Catholic Church, which is an important difference. Yeah. Because although the Celtic Church belonged to the Catholic fold until they got crushed, they were very independent and they had sources that were independent, which were pagan and went back to Egypt and the Middle East. And huh. it would have been much easier for Norse tradition people to convert to this kind of Christianity than the Catholic, because the Catholic stuff was completely reversed, whereas this kind of Christianity took heed for stuff like ley lines, sacred geometry. Yeah. Uh, acknowledging the runes and, and a lot of stuff. But that's another discussion. We've had a show about that. We had a show about Hyperborea. Yeah, yeah. And what else? There, Yeah, the Norse roots of masonry. And in all these shows, we've touched mysteries or phenomenons that are actually so interesting that we could talk about them themselves. Mm. And you have in many of your videos. So, for example, you have a video called Berserker Substances. I want you yep. to explain, because I've heard a lot of r rumors. Like, for example, one, it, this may be like a meme or a myth, but one is that they were feeding fluisop. Uh, what's that yep. in English? Do you know? Uh, I think that Amanita muscaria is the word for it. Yeah. Um, That's a professional term. The Latin word for it. Yeah. Special type of mushroom, hallucinogenic mushroom. Yeah, it's a red one with white dots on it. So uh, yeah, I, yeah. I've been told they were feeding that to the front line mm. so that they went crazy when they attacked. Now, I don't know if this is true, but what have you uh, to say about this? Yeah, so that was a theory that they uh, started with the mushrooms. That, that, that came up until the 1800s. Uh, that's when it first came out. First, we have no sources. Nothing tells us much about the berserker state. We don't know how they got to that state. We don't even know much about them. There's only a small handful of mentions of them in the in the old sagas. But um, yeah, the mushroom theory that started in about the 1800s, because uh, that's kind of just growing wild and in Scandinavia, and they thought it might be but um, just in recent years, maybe the past 50, 60 years, they've done some experiments and they found that you're not very likely to uh, to go in a fight if you're taking <laughs> those mushrooms. <laughs> you get just sad and, and lethargic and sleepy and horrible stomach aches and uh, things like that. So what they've what I spoke about in the video and what they've theorized, it's kind of the main theory now is uh, they use henbane. Mm. Uh, henbane seeds and this makes you feel like energetic and light on your feet and uh, ki kind of crazy for a little bit so they we're, we're again not sure but um we think that it could have been uh henbane and also we have found uh, henbane seeds in, in uh, some archaeological graves uh viking graves from the time so that's a uh, pretty good chance it's that but again we uh we can't be for sure no, I, I totally agree. Uh, we know that, by the way, that handbane, at least it's been speculated that handbane has also been used for spiritual purposes. Yeah. Of yeah. course, of course, the berserkers were warriors. So, in, in fact, maybe they don't even know who they were. W what are the berserkers? Yeah. So, in most of the sagas, uh, they were kind of uh, painted in a, in a negative light. They were 
they were nuisances to the village. They would come in and challenge people to uh, home gung and, and take their wives and their land. And they were really a nuisance. Um, this was in the Viking age, but in some of the older sources, we have uh, berserkers being more uh, honorable warriors that were serving the king, mm. things like that. So there was definitely, I think, a very, very old tradition that could go all the way back to the, uh, the Indo-European roots. There were some warriors called uh, Koryos um, that, that we find parallels of all over Europe, warriors that would go out to uh, live in the woods um, and kind of be away from society and, and hunt and, and go on these spiritual type journeys. We don't know much, but um, yeah, the berserkers seem very similar. But then as we got to the Viking age, uh, the sources at least say that most of them became just a nuisance to society and uh, they were just bothersome to people. Yeah, this is a very important point you raise. Um, in my show with, um, you should totally get this book, uh, the show called uh, Norse Roots of Freemasonry. Yeah. This author says the same about these people. You, it goes back to the Bronze Age, the warrior culture there. He goes even further. He claims that they brought the... the he said that the original Norse people who settled here after the Ice Age retracted were peaceful uh, and fastbuena. And, and What's that in English? Um, yeah, like uh, living full-time somewhere. Yeah, like year round. Yeah, and and doing agriculture and stuff, and they were worshiping Frey and Freya, yeah. male and female version of of that god. And then came the more should we say patriarchal warrior cultures from the east, yeah. with their Thor and Odin stuff. Uh, and uh, uh, he even says that Thor and Odin was two different cults that uh, amalgamated with this. Uh, and like, of course. We must give kudos to Tor Heyerdahl, yeah. or a country fellow who, who passed away, who worked with the similar theories before he died, but he puts it in a more recent time, Tor Heyerdahl does. But Arvid Ysta, he he's now working on a new book about this thing, and a lot of other stuff that I can't talk about, and he's going to try to get a PhD based on that book, but... Nevertheless, the book is coming out, also in English, folks. Lots of folks were complaining that his Norse Roots to Freemasonry book was not in English. But yeah, you can get that in English soon, too. So that's that. But uh, yeah, and uh, so I would say the berserkers then are really what people imagine when they hear about Vikings. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. really the berserkers. Won't you agree? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. It was, uh, think of the most violent, uh, misbehaved people <laughs> you can think of, and those were the berserkers. The, right. the Vikings and the, and the pre-Scandinavian, pre-Christian Scandinavians, they were very peaceful, very, you know, uh, logical, very diplomatic. Um, but they, then you have the berserkers that come in and just don't care about any of that. So they're probably yeah. where, where people's main perception comes from. Yeah, and another thing they found out too is that uh, Vikings were actually fashion snobs. Yeah. They were dressing in fantastic garments. This is new research. Not this ragtag bunch of trolls, you know, <laughs> but they, uh, both men and females were wearing exclusive fabrics, very intricate patterns, etc. Yeah. New new research that they were caring of how they look. So when they're portrayed like these photo models in the series Vikings, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually not that wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but because we have to go very soon to uh, actually where we started, like who came from where. And you have a super good video on that. But I want to complete the... Uh, 
the substance discussion, the toxication discussion first, because yeah. we mentioned handbane, we mentioned fly fungus or whatever it's called. Yeah. There's two other things we need to mention. Number one is what we call flain soup. They, I think in English it's just magic mushrooms. Yeah. What do we know about that? Yeah, same thing. It's just theories. It's definitely possible. Um, yeah, I, I haven't tried these things or else I could maybe give a better viewpoint, but uh, it doesn't seem like if, if people are taking magic mushrooms, they would be <laughs> likely to fight in a war. Uh, also, because no, the, I'm taking I'm thinking more that that has been used in a spiritual uh, practice. Oh, spirituality, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think so, absolutely. Just, and I'm I'm sure, uh, even though we don't have the sources for these things, of course, uh, as we go further back in time, closer to nature, people have a better knowledge of the mushrooms and the plants around them and exactly what they do. Um, not not less so i think uh, yes they absolutely would have used them not so much sources and again it would have been probably a very small percent of the population the vertivac like the witches and the spiritual leaders and things like that it wouldn't have been everybody definitely not something they did on the regular basis but for some mm. uh, spiritual discoveries and magic uh, yeah for sure I, I would i would agree that they they used those things mm. in um in our Vikings in America series, there we, I, I mentioned, I think it's me who mentions it actually, not the guest, but no, the guest mentioned, no, no, in the Norse Roots show we had, there he mentions that they found um, cannabis seeds uh, among Vikings, but yeah. it's even it's even more extreme than that. It's not just that they have had access to recreational use of cannabis. We know they've used hemp, but that's not even that. It's actually <laughs> the classical uh, cliche thing. It's smoking, but even more extreme than that. You know, Leif's Budir. Leif's Budir is this waypoint station that they set up in. Uh, um, Newfoundland. Oh, okay, yeah. Or yeah. was it Nova Scotia? Yeah, Newfoundland. No, I think yeah. it's yeah, Newfoundland, and that was supposed to be like a traffic point for ships going to Vinland further south, uh, northeast USA, yeah. and um, the settlers in Greenland and Iceland. Now they found that, uh, and this is pretty recent too, the people who hanged in Leif's Budir in um, Newfoundland were also using recreational cannabis. Oh. And that makes me think that, you know what? They must have, the cannabis usage in Scandinavia must have been a trade with the natives, Indians. Because where else would they get this from? I suppose they could get it from India, but don't you think that it's more likely they got it from the West when we know they were... Uh, ships going to the west uh, if yeah not... yeah that's a good question we we have found um i think it was it was either cannabis seeds or, or maybe hemp seeds that was in the usabag ship in uh near tunsbag basically the two most famous and honorable witches that got the biggest burial we have in norway um that i think they found it in there too and then yeah i didn't know that they found the seeds also in that little settlement in iceland i've been meaning to go uh check that no not in iceland sorry uh newfoundland Yep, I've been meaning to check that out, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know about uh, where these kinds of things grow wild. If it came from Africa, or if it came from, uh, yeah. uh, even if they traded with India, like you said, maybe, or if it was the Americas, it absolutely uh, uh, could be possible. 
Because mm. there are indications of uh, long-term trade with both Inuits and uh, Amerindians. Yeah. And so, okay, that's technically possible that they could have brought it with them from Scandinavia. I mean, if I was supposed to live in that godforsaken island of Newfoundland, I would for sure pack some cannabis seeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it all depends on how widespread it was at home. It could have been the other way around. They got it and then they spread it at home. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. And do we know of other substances used in Norse tradition, Norse spirituality? No, none of the sources give us... Uh say anything about it of course uh, they were written most of them many hundreds of years after and they were these substances would have probably been very very frowned upon by the christians who came in there and oh, yeah. uh, were, were trying to get rid of these pagan traditions and spiritual rites and things like that but um we do know that there was some sort of sacred ritual that they have there was probably many but there was one this is what a lot of our myths are about too whereas there's this uh, uh maiden either a giantess or a goddess offering uh mead to to the hero or things like that so, so definitely there was something in that and there was yeah. probably some sort of very sacred ritual uh there's a good paper on that um by uh Norwegian Maria Kvilhaug, um, I would recommend uh, that that for sure. That mm. She basically speaks all about this. Mm. So uh, mead is mjöd, sant? Yeah, yeah. Mm. What about mugwort? You have a video on it. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 also that has been used for uh, thousands of years um, in the Viking Age. Um, don't know if we have any sources going over that. It was. Uh, uh, kind of written uh, from you know in christian uh, like missionaries and things like that they would write down this and, and we have some examples of the use of mugwort there but of course if we look at the scandinavian folk tradition and and these magic things there mugwort popped up a lot and um yeah of course mugwort can be set, traced back to ancient greece uh, so that was definitely used for a long time uh, everywhere mm. Yeah, and, and we know that other similar pagan traditions back in that day, uh, or actually not back in that day, because we were one of the last survivors, uh, but earlier pagans in Europe did indeed use a whole range of substances, including the mysterious Soma. Some even speculate that they had access to DMT, yeah. uh, not through ayahuasca, but through... What was it? Some fungus thing, like the Pythian Oracle in Delphi. Yeah, yeah. They are speculating that she was inhaling fumes from coming up from the cracks in the stone floor in yeah. the caves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, and I also know work on near death experience and auto body experience, like scientific research into that. And they say that most of the ancient spirituality has been informed by encounters with death, like near-death experience, like ecstatic experiences with or without substances, oh. deep meditation, initiation rituals, a lot of practices concerned about deaths, and, and that still lives on, by the way. Yep. Okay, so let's move on then. Now I want to go back a little to the, a more light topic. Uh, one of my favorite videos of yours, but I haven't heard everyone yet, so it may change, but... Uh, I really liked it because as soon as we start talking about Vikings, what happens? Everybody want to claim them for themselves, <laughs> especially Swedes, Danes, and Norwegians. 
The Icelanders are more silent, maybe because they know they are actually the only one who got the tradition still. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. But give us a crash course now, because people are confused, of course. Even the Scandinavian people are confused. Who came from where? How could we could we say that there is a difference between the Vikings in these countries? I mean, you may as well uh, throw in the Finns uh, and the uh, Western Island people too, because it's all conflated into a Nordic culture. Yeah, but yeah. there are differences here. But feel free to go into details about this. Yeah, sure. I, my video I did on that, I I spoke for twenty minutes, I think, but I could really speak for twenty days. Yeah, <laughs> it's such I a know. big subject, all, all of the differences. Um, but yeah, it's basically in the video said that the Danes, they were more, they're always, of course, more connected to continental Europe. Um, and they were the last uh, kind of Christian, uh, the, the ones who uh, were always on the front of the Christianity trying to come in there. So they kind of had to settle and they went to all these different places and they went out in large armies to, uh, to, to do whatever they need to do. Um, Norway, they were... Hang on, hang on. Let me add something. Yep. Uh, my impression of the Danes uh, is that, yes, like you say, they were the bulwark against Christianity. So they were exposed to that. But they also became Christian because of that right before us but also they were they were not raiders yeah not so much as much as they were invaders right yeah yeah i'm sure they raided of course but um yeah they, they were more invading in, in large parties they were interested in actually going to places and settling there and setting up a new home yeah. for for the danes uh, whereas the norwegians they just take <laughs> take your stuff and go back home or settle in iceland or something <laughs> like that yeah we were the bandits but but uh, wasn't the danes also more into trade yeah yeah more trade of course um, it was a bit difficult too because a lot of uh, these uh, Christian places would not trade with pagans at the time so uh, mm. th there was a struggle there as well but the Danes yeah mo more interested in trade and that's probably also why they became Christian uh, earlier than anyone else because right. they they depended on that trade and probably also why they had to invade because if these goddamn uh, suckers don't want to trade with us we just have to take over the place <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and what were their problem why did they expand Yes, uh, I'm sure lots of different reasons. Um, it could be uh, definitely population growth was a factor. Mm. And definitely uh, freedom was a factor too. Uh, they were finally starting to, for thousands of years in Scandinavia, they would live in small tribes, just not, not more than a 50 or a couple hundred people. But now it was kind of, all of Scandinavia was being united under uh, kingdoms. So the whole country and some kings came in and they were doing some not so good things. So people, I'm sure, uh, wanted to move away and, and settle for freedom. That was also a, a big motivation, I'm sure. Right. But uh, it's a good point uh, about the population because Denmark is a very small place physically. Yeah. And they don't even have hills to hide. I mean, mountains to hide behind. Or yeah. I mean, it's it should be probably the easiest area in Scandinavia for one king to seize. Did they get one king before the others? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I forget the first king in Denmark. I forget his name, but yeah, it was uh, it was much before. I think, I think the first king in Norway was Harald Fairhair, as as we spoke about earlier. That was the late. 800s but even then after him it was kind of split up again and no king for a while and uh, but Denmark yeah it was pretty much unified under one kingdom since the early Viking age probably even before 
So what do we know? I love the way you take on the Swedes. What do we know about the Swedes during this time? Yeah, so the Swedes were going east. Um, <laughs> in my video, I was speaking about just making fun of the Swedes, how they were doing nothing and, and <laughs> sitting down and uh, just poking some fun at them. Uh, but the Swedes did absolutely a lot. They went to the east, uh, settled there, set up uh, the Rus Vikings, um, and then basically set up huge populations there, not only in the Viking Age, but also in the migration period hundreds of years before. Mm. Um, and of course, the Bargarian Guard, they made it all the way down to uh, Constantinople, that area. So the Swedes definitely did. Mikla Guard, we call it. But yeah. I have to add, we also know that Norwegian Vikings went to, uh, to Mikla Guard. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just Swedes, but yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, as far as activities in the West, um, it's just that we have nothing, not much written about what, what the Swedes did uh, back then. So it's, uh, of course, there's not much chronicles and there wasn't much writing going on in the East as there was in the West, in Francia and England. So there's lots more records of what the Norwegians and the Danes did than, uh, than the Swedes. Yeah. You kind of you 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 call them yeah you poke fun you call them uh, a big brother yeah yeah well <laughs> but you give them one kudos that's very important to mention which kind of legitimizes their entire slacking throughout the Viking Age yeah because you say they were best yeah. on preserving our traditions and our spirituality yeah absolutely and I think that's super important yep yeah and they they were the ones that remained. Uh, Pagan the longest. Um, they they were quite some time. It's officially about about eighty years, I think, after Norway and Denmark became Christian. But I think unofficially, uh, the traditions lasted much much longer in Sweden, and they were just a lot more remote. And they definitely did a better job at preserving some of these spiritual practices. All of these. Um, a lot of the examples of magic and pagan practices that we find all the way up until the 1600s, some of them, um, it, it's coming more from Sweden than uh, anywhere else. So they they definitely did a much better job at preserving the original traditions. But it must have been easier for them because uh, if you go very north, you have Laps Samis who also yeah. who are into shamanism yeah. and we have the Finns who... I guess there were also shamans back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were always known, at least from the Norse sagas, they were known as being very good at magic. <laughs> that was the Finns and also the, the Sami. So the, them even more than the Swedes, they, their uh, native traditions and, and uh, beliefs lasted much longer than even the Swedes. That was uh, uh, even a couple hundred years after Scandinavia uh, became Christian. So uh, yes, wow. uh, Lapland and, uh, and Finland, absolutely. They did an even better job than the Swedes at preserving these uh, old traditions. But of course, they had it they were from a different language and religious family but still very much uh, similar but it's interesting with finland because they are of the uh, so-called finnish ugric family that one thinks is a western version of the tyrannic but be that as it may when did they become christian because the christianity they have is they have orthodox christianity which tells me they were invaded from the east yeah, yeah, yeah. Th that came a bit later on in time. I think okay. uh, 
uh, I'm not sure exactly, but it, it was, of course, um, the Swedes who eventually Christianized Finland. I think that was shortly after the Viking Age. It might have been the 12 or 1300s. Mm. Um, so that the Christianity in Finland would have been very similar to what was practiced in Scandinavia at the time. But then, of course, they they had all these dealings with Russia uh, uh, later on in history. That's probably why they uh, they became Orthodox. Mm. Okay, interesting. So then, if uh, that's the Danes and the Swedes, what about the Norwegians? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, they're, they're the younger brother. They're the one that's <laughs> always getting into trouble, as I mentioned in the video. Hmm. Um, they were raiding a lot more, um, but still the, a very peaceful people, actually. they uh, If anyone reads the sagas, they will see how diplomatic and and uh, peaceful they would be. Um, of course, they would raid, but it was always for a good reason, and the violence was always kind of for a good reason. It was uh, mm. the, the raiding, of course, is not justified. That's not nice. But if there was a conflict in between uh, different tribes or different um, chieftains, they, it was always very, very uh, justified. So it wasn't just blind violence like uh, people believe. No, but you, like you say yourself in the video, Norwegians even raided all the Vikings. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> such a nuisance. Yeah, they, they would raid their next door neighbors, <laughs> <laughs> the next village over. So, so in the beginning of the series Vikings, it could be a closer depiction of how Norway was uh, functioning. Because in the beginning, it's all these tribes who yeah. clashes. Yeah. But we too had our problems, but not similar, I would say, to the Danes. Because the Danes were overcrowded. That was not the problem in Norway, of course. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a question of uh, food too. It's even yeah. the same today, isn't it? That most of the food in Scandinavia is produced in uh, Denmark, so there's much more agriculture there. So even though uh, the population in Norway would have been much smaller, they uh, they would have not had as much food to, uh, to to feed as many people as Denmark would, for example. Mm. That's a good point. So they, they had to find new, that's partly also explains why they were raiding, but also why they were explorers, because lots of these Western explorations came from Norway. Uh, do we know when we settled the West Sea Islands, like I'm referring now to, of course, Orkneys, Shetland, yeah. Faroe Islands and Iceland and Greenland for that matter? Yep, yep. I, I forget the exact years. Um, it's it's in the it's in the books that I have, and uh, yeah, they have a pretty uh, they have pretty confident dates on all of those. But yeah, the Shetlands, Orkneys, uh, Faroe Islands for a very early Viking age, early eight hundreds. So we have records of uh, uh, chieftains and tribes being set up there. Iceland probably around the year nine hundred. I forget the exact year. I think it is written down, but uh, right around nine hundred. Mm. Uh, Greenland shortly after, and then when they settled in uh, the U.S. Uh, or, or the Americas, uh, Newfoundland, like we spoke about, that was uh, right around the year 1000. Mm. And we know also from the sagas that of activity before that, if you listen to, uh, I have a, like a post rant in part three uh, of my show called Templars in America. Sure. I go through the, not the entire, but I go through many, many evidences of Vikings going west prior to 1350, which, you know, for some weird reason, they think that 1315, then everything stopped. But oh. there's indications to show that it didn't. But that's another story. 
Yeah, so now we have a clearer... What would you say about the Icelanders, by the way? Because we we should, if they were settled, we could say they are the small brother of Norwegians. But it's not just Norwegians who settle in Iceland. There's also Celts who settle there. Yeah, so yeah. You, we know that from yeah. genetics too, that Icelanders, who's been very isolated, so they're a wonderful genetic research experiment. Yeah, yeah. We know that they have a lot of Celtic and Norwegian. Like, like The same is true, of course, for Scotland and parts of Ireland too. But yeah, what would you say about the Icelanders? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think you probably read a little bit more about it than me. But yeah, that's what I've I've seen as well. Um, that uh, that they've traced like the male uh, chromosome or DNA in Iceland, and it's mostly Norwegian they found. But for the female uh, DNA there, it's mostly from Ireland. So that they probably. Uh, sounds like most of the women they were brought by the norwegians uh, from <laughs> ireland and they married and and that's what they did there so that's uh, at least what the dna uh, evidence uh, says sounds like spoils of raids yeah, yeah sounds like <laughs> it but we know also that uh, irish monks settled in in iceland yeah very early so um, they've always had been exposed we even know that um native indian we know that from Gen- they even know when she came yeah. So there was this Icelandic Viking who brought a wife from um, uh, North America. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now I, I said that the Swedes uh, were like better at uh, conserving or traditions, but the same can be said for Icelanders too, won't you say? Yeah, 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 for sure. They they were the ones that all of if it wasn't for Iceland we would have no almost no recollection of the religion of of the scandinavians the native religion that all of the uh, texts uh, prose edda and uh, poetic edda they were written in iceland uh, of course a couple hundred years later by christians but they they still uh, they had a conscious effort to preserve that um, and and they were allowed to of course because other places in scandinavia would not have been allowed to write down these texts um so yeah, the, uh, if it wasn't for Iceland, we would have no recollection of the myths. If it wasn't for Sweden, we would have no recollection of the traditions and customs. That's uh, the mm. way I like to put it. So maybe it wasn't too bad to put a Swedish actor in as Fluke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> spiritual one. Yeah, yeah. It's a perfect fit. Yeah, and, and he, had, he had some knowledge about, you know, he was a very good making uh, ships, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Okay, so now <laughs> cringe pagans. <laughs> That's a serious you got. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, let, let's move to the spirituality then. Uh, how would you describe Norse paganism? <laughs> what was the practices? What was the core of that system? Yeah, that's uh, another question could go on forever about. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> Do your best. The, the biggest mistake I see a lot of people making is uh, treating it like it was its own thing. Um, But it was really not very different from all these other uh, polytheistic uh, beliefs from all around the world. Um, We were all the same family, every, every single people in, uh, in the Indo-European culture. So that can go all the way from India, all the way up into the North of Scandinavia, all throughout Europe. So we all, going back 8,000 years or so, um, we had the same language and the same religion, and we just spread out and evolved apart, but the same core uh, spiritualities are there. So I would suggest people 
um, European um, different um, native religions are great to look to. Um, and, and of course, the Norse uh, is going to be very much like that. But also uh, Hinduism or, or Sanatana Dharma, as they would call it. Of course, it's separated by 8,000 years of evolution, but still a lot of the same uh, core uh, principles are still there. And I think people people forget about that. They want to just come into Norse uh, spirituality and treat it like uh, just uh, mythology or, or Christianity or monotheism but uh, it's really we can we can focus on more of the other uh, polytheistic cultures around the world and we can get a much better idea of how it was uh, like that mm. so um, there are many different uh, terminologies used uh, we have Seder mm-hmm. I may not even know how to say it in English, Galder yeah, yeah. we have Blut I don't know if that's what they say in English too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you even have a video here about reincarnation in the Norse belief system. Would you say there was a reincarnation there concept? Yes, 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 absolutely. But we have quite a few sources for that. And, mm. and again, all of the Indo-European religions believed in the reincarnation at some point. It's just that when they stopped believing in this is the question. Mm. So, for example, you have one video called The Different Types of Norse Magic. Could you list them and explain them to us? Yeah, let's see. That was a video a long time ago. I'll pull that up. The står på thumbnail. Yeah, yeah. The Galdr, Seidr, Rune Magic, Divination, Necromancy, Shapeshifting, Sigils, Herbal, Animalism. Yep, yep. So, whenever you're ready. Yeah, just pulling it up quickly. Blood magic, all good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, would you like me to speak about uh, what each of these are? Yeah, because uh, many people listening know uh, a few things about spirituality, magic, esotericism. So, many people will get it. But, of course, always try to make it as e- easy and comprehensible as possible. Yeah, for more of the beginners. And that's uh, the, the reason I made that video, the different types of Norse magic, is just to just to show, because so many people these days also are, are interested in magic and, and Wicca, witchcraft, and things like that. Uh, and they look to voodoo, they look to the English tradition, they look east and all these things. But the reason I made this video is because uh, the Norse, I think, had a more rich uh, culture of magic than anywhere else, in my opinion, at least. And they had just so many different uh, uh, ways to do this. And we actually have sources for uh, much of them to, uh, to to see what it was actually like. Mm. Right. So what are they called and, and what do they pertain? Yeah, so, so the ones uh, that will come up first that most people have heard of, they're, they're probably the most well-known is Galded inside this. Galded is very easy. It's, it's just a chant or a, they might call it mantra in, in the East. Just some sort of poem uh, that would bring that would be believed to bring some sort of magical effect. Saidir, uh, very mysterious. We don't know about it. it, it this would be the closest thing that we have to uh, shamanism, um, where a witch or, or even a, a, a wizard would get up on a platform, do some kind of crazy dance. We don't know exactly what it is or how they got to this trance-like state, but um, then they would give their prophecies or even curses or all kinds of things like that. Um, hmm. Then, of course, rune magic. This this is what has been uh, kind of uh, misinterpreted or where there's a lot of false information about there today. People have kind of recreated these things and we really don't have a lot of sources uh, 
from ancient times too. Hang on, is is most of the pollution from contemporary times now that this has a renaissance, or is it from the Nazi time where they also? Yeah, I would say it started then. It, it would. Mm. It, it probably started in the early 1900s when all different types of people, uh, different countries in Northern Europe, they would be looking into the ruins and trying to figure them out because we actually know very, very little about them, and it's just people coming with their own you know, interpretations and theories, which is totally cool. We need to, sure. we need to recreate some things because there, uh, there is just not much sources about it, but um, we need to be clear about what is a modern invention and theory and what we actually know from, from ancient times. And the uh, ruins is a perfect example of that. People are, are doing all kinds of crazy things with ruins, but most of it has no basis in, in the old sources that we know of at least. Hmm, interesting. So there's not much we can say about rune magic, for sure? There was definitely done. Um, people using runes for divination today, I see a lot of that. Rune readings, uh, we have no evidence that that was done. It's possible that it was, and much before the Viking period, but at least no evidence that it was done. Hmm. But as far as rune magic, carving runes... Um, for some certain magical purposes. Yes, that was absolutely done, uh, but we only have, eh, I, I, I think we have less than 10 actual examples in archeological finds and old texts that tell us exactly which runes to carve and what the effect that it was believed to bring is. Um, so uh, people have reconstructed things from that and that's uh, pretty good, but just people need to know that we don't know a whole lot of what they actually did from, uh, from the old sources. But we can infer a few things because yeah. what's a tra traditional tale account of how we got the runes? Of, of how we got the runes? Yeah, I believe it's Nora Sturluson who says that about how Odin. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so the myth um, when Odin was hanging in the tree for nine days and he uh, just cries and then looks up and he uh, he discovers the runes that way. Um, there, there's a lot of theories to that myth and lots of interpretations as to what that really means. Um, yeah, and that Odin saw that the other tribes had magical alphabets like the hieroglyphs and the uh, Hebrew system, and and wanted one for himself. Yeah, yeah. Says oh, okay that... uh, for their own, and uh, you know, if it's true that they were hanging in uh, around the Black Sea, they would be more likely to be exposed to other magical yeah, yeah. alphabets. And if they were exposed to stuff like the Hebrew system or the hieroglyphs, then we can infer one thing, mm -hmm. and that is that whatever the connection, it doesn't have to be like that. But we see an early comparison between runes and those systems, and then we can look at okay, so what did they do? with the magical alphabets back in that time, then we can infer from that that most likely the same applications were then uh, done with the runes, is my thinking. Yeah, yeah. You, you, catch you, my drift? Sure you, you know much more about that, uh, I think, than I do, the magical alphabets from more south in Europe. Yeah. So what it, is it kind of the same thing? Do they have these uh, symbols and letters that they would carve on things for... Uh, yeah. So it would be like multi-purpose, like a uh, symbol was, uh, it was a sound, it was a, a geometrical thing, it was, you could count, it was a letter, it was a word, or even a name, and it also had a magical property, 
So, so it would be multifunction, uh, and it was, of course, like a letter, like an alphabet thing. Right. So, uh, and that's the thing in in esotericism, and spirituality, and paganism that there's always multi-layered functions. It's not just one thing. Yeah. And I think we have to approach uh, the runes in the same vein. We see uh, interesting stuff like, for example, as was uncovered in one of my shows, you know, the Templars in America, that in 1350 and even later than that, so we're talking after the Black Plague when most of the people who were competent and could read and write were wiped out in Norway, we see that Cistercians, which are uh, kind of a more mystical aspect within Catholicism. Cistercians, we even know, were connected to the Knights Templars, for example. So we know that Norwegian and Swedish Cistercians were using runes. And we also have runes all over uh, Götland, is that what they call it, where lots of Templar round churches and Cistercians hang. So we know that at this time, we see that educated people albeit educated in a new tradition, namely an heretic Christian tradition, probably also connected to the Celtic Christianity as as another dude has uncovered. We see that those people who we know are spiritual and also live here and so close in time to the Norse religion that they have to be influenced by it, are applying runes within their own uh, now new spiritual system so something has survived there of course we don't know how much where they identify as christian how much was that a new and different thing or how much was it just a mixed religion because we see in scotland that there was a mixed religion going on also up to the 1300s we know this from many sources but one of the new discoveries uh, that i have I'm going to release a new a show on that very soon. It, but it's called the Journals of Henry Sinclair. We see that the Earl or Jarl of Orkney, namely Sinclair, mm-hmm. if these journals are authentic, was witnessing in the 1300s up to the 1400s ceremonies both in Scotland and in Norway where they were honoring both Celtic and Norse gods yeah. this late. And and this is called a mixed religion. We know the same happened when the uh, Vikings settled in uh, the British Isles. For a long time, there was a parallel. This is how they think Freemasonry origined yeah. is the newest. So this is all very interesting because then the runes have been recognized as a magical tool, as a practical tool. And even so effective that we don't have to limit it to the old religion. We can even use them in the new religion. Yeah, yeah. So this I find very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know all that. There was a, that's a so the actual actual runes, and of course they, I'm sure they developed a little bit with time. We we know that, but um, the runes and yeah. so other symbols very similar start to pop up in in the places you mentioned. Yeah, and and Sigur Agrel he argues for the twenty fifth rune, which is discussed and we also have of course phenomenon like Uthark rather than Futhark yeah yeah so there's a whole lot but you you uh, list as number four you list divination yeah then you mean both with and without runes right yeah so uh without runes we were not sure that runes were used for divination they used other things um uh, uh, sacrificial chips um that they would throw and and give some divination but there were so many different types of divination it could be uh 
fire gazing. It could be uh, sitting out on a rooftop. Um, it could be utiseta, sitting out on a burial mound. Um, of course, uh, saidir is a type of divination, and all all these types of things. Divination can be so uh, mm. so many different things uh, in the Viking age. We have lots of sources for that. I think in Viking series, at some point, someone was reading the intestines of an animal or or uh, yeah. a human. I'm not sure. Was that something you was practiced here? They might have. I think that they used to do the placenta. I'm not sure if they did that in the show, but we're mm. pretty sure that uh, they could they, they could do something with the placenta after the birth and tell about the. Uh, the uh, the health of the child and and apparently the some of the, the what some of the sources suggest is they could even tell its destiny from there which is yeah, we don't know but um, they can at least we know for sure that you can tell the health and and uh, longevity of a child that was born by looking at the placenta so that's mm. uh, that's all very interesting I don't, I don't know if they did that in the show though okay what about necromancy yeah so that what is that and how did they practice it here do you think yeah, so that is Utiseta um, would be that. Um, there's uh, quite a few sources for that in the sagas and, and the Eddas where they would go sit out on a burial mound and that would in a way wake up the spirit of the person that was living in there. Uh, they could also break into the burial mound. We have uh, lots and lots of sources for that. Most of the burial mounds we have found have been actually broken into and some of the sagas explain that the spirit of the person wakes up then and it's kind of a a transfer of power when that happens or initiation into the family um in in certain ways so that's uh definitely it's not like they woke people up and a zombie came <laughs> came walking <laughs> out of the out of the ground it's just kind of waking up and and speaking to the spirit of uh of a dead person the burial mount you say yeah. because we have uh, these we call it grave hoe yeah but yeah. But did these become a part of the mount over time or, or were they done like that from the outset? Oh. I mean, did they make some kind of burial monument, like a house, and then it just became, you know, overgrown and a part of like a mount, yeah. like a pyramid? Or, or was it always that they just were digging in, in the earth? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's... Um and we see these all over Europe. It's not just in Scandinavia, burial mounds. It's basically stones piled together in a mound. It's, it's of course, a lot of work. So only the most uh, you know wealthy and, and high status and honorable people would receive these burials. But um, in very ancient times, uh, the Bronze Age and before, there would be lots of these burial mounds. And they, they would even call this um, in... Uh, in some of the sagas, they, they they would call this the burial age, and then there would be a cremation age sometime around the uh, the migration period up until the Vendel period. This was the cremation age where most of uh, the burials would happen via cremation. And then again, in the Viking age, we start to see these mounds uh, come up again, made of stone. And then, of course, uh, I mean, you, you know as well as I do, they're everywhere in Norway. They're uh, yeah ancient burial places and they're just on on random farms a lot of the time and that they've just been overgrown with grass and things like that but um, the interesting thing is most of these uh, have been broken into after the after the fact and they, this was uh this was a tradition by by the pre-christian scandinavian some sort of ritual we're not exactly sure why but um it, it was definitely something that was done 
So they even back in the day they broke into the tombs. Yeah, and it was not grave robbery. It was it was done by family members or <laughs> or trusted people. Uh, we don't know why they did it. There's lots of theories, but um, yeah, almost uh, most of the burial mounds we see have been broken into actually um, for some sort of uh, spiritual purpose. It's so interesting. If you haven't yet, you should listen to the show called. Norse roots of Freemasonry, because yeah. especially I think in part two, he goes into practices in Masonry, which is very resonating of the stuff you're talking about here. I, I can see how these things, we know, of course, that Masons are, you know, they have this grave thing. You know, the Jolly Roger, the pirate flag? Oh, yeah. The head and the book yeah, crossed sure. bones. Yeah. yeah. That's actually comes from the Templars, which again, got it from the Masons. And most likely the Masons got this tomb obsession that they have from the Norse. Uh, so if someone is interested in Masonry, for example, when they listen, when they read Ovidista's book, they will understand what it's about. If they're interested in Norse but n- don't know about Mason, the same there. So you can come from two different directions yeah. and bam, get an understanding. That's what I love about that book. Yeah. And I'm I'm not as competent as you in uh, the basics. I, I I'm more familiar with the more weird outliers. Yeah. So I would love someone like you, who knows the basics, uh, to you know your take on on these yeah. interesting theories. That and I, folks, keep an eye on this space because I'm going to have many more shows onwards. Going to interview an Icelander about unknown stuff, especially about the travels west. I'm going to interview the chap who wrote the Viking Serpent. So many more interesting theories are coming about this. So consider the show today as like a basic education, as a context for these more specialized shows. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show... You can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Okay, so necromancy, uh, magic with the dead. What about shape-shifting? Yeah, so that's that's also a very difficult one. Um, <laughs> very hard to believe uh, that they did things like that. We have some stories in the sagas of people turning into bears to fight in a war or, or people uh, turning into a bird to fly or people... Um, changing into a whale to swim to Iceland um, to, to see what was going on there. Um, not, not into wolves? Yeah, I'm sure wolves too. I'm sure wolves too. Uh, but uh, yeah, of course, wolves and 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 bears. Ulfhedner and Bashashkir, uh, they were uh, same thing. It's just what what type of skin you would put on yourself. Um, so it's so hang on. The berserkers were were actually worshiping bears, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. interesting because you know that's one of the oldest cults, uh, the Neanderthals, who yeah. were not uh, like. You know, primitive monkey man, as people yeah, yeah. think. They were just, uh, we even, actually, they were Homo sapiens because we all have Neanderthal genes. They could breed without sterile offspring. But that's, it's going to take probably 50 years be- before we have a normal attitude to the Neanderthals. But the Neanderthals, yeah. they were into both burying the dead and also worshipping bears. And they were using flutes too. And they, 
even put in the graves of the dead people stuff yeah. it's kind of similar actually as the vikings they put stuff for the other world yeah yeah it's 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 really interesting how old these traditions could be i mean it's they could it could be hundreds of thousands of years maybe we don't know yeah related right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. But it's also interesting with shapeshifting is that we don't have to believe in werewolves and stuff like that because I think I think it was Game of Thrones who actually featured this shamanistic fact because they of course the guy who wrote Game of Thrones is super informed about history and myth so it's all in the open that he's borrowing like Tolkien did borrowing from traditions oh. but what he does with the north you know the people beyond the wall oh yeah Remember, they could go into a trance and then they could fuse the consciousness with a bird, for example? Yeah. That's the kind of shape-shifting I think they were doing because that's a shamanic practice yeah. where you, through meditation and stuff like that, can go in to try to fuse with another, uh, with a lower being like a bird. Yeah. Um, most likely, I think that's the shape-shifting. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, and this is this is a normal thing, like you said, in the East, the shamanic practices, and uh, yeah, Eastern traditions, they they believe in this as well. As most people did not know that uh, that the Norse also did uh, something like this. But yeah, we have uh, we have sources for this, changing into whales, like I said, bears, birds, all these kinds of things. Mm. What about sigils? Yeah, so that's that's uh, definitely from uh, later on in time. That's uh, that's more of the Icelandic tradition. Uh, they're they're similar to a lot of the uh, Christian uh, like sigils and what do they call them? Like uh, Solomonic uh, sigils, uh, things like that. They were used in mainland Europe. So there's definitely lots of influence on that, and a lot of these. Uh, magic books or galdera books that we uh, find in iceland and there's there's lots of those but they're from a bit later on in time uh, quite a few hundred years after the viking age but um some of them not many but some can definitely be traced you know we have a pretty good uh, chance that it can be traced back to uh, viking times or, or at least be an evolution of something that originated in those times yeah i'm sort of a collector of rare obscure stuff and uh, yeah. writings and i have one i mentioned to you one so-called black book or um, yeah. uh, but that's uh, mostly finnish yeah. swedish or finnish yeah and yeah. there's a lot of sigils featuring there yeah yeah among just what we call sharing road and uh, basic superstition too <laughs> yeah yeah so what about herbalism yeah, of course, herbal is uh, it's, that's a huge subject as well. Of course, they did that. This was, uh, don't know if we can really call that magic, but they definitely had herbs that they believed had some sort of power. Yeah. And we have, it's been proven today that a lot of these things are true. These, some of these ancient herbal remedies actually work. Right. And it's not just magic, it's uh, science. So, yeah, of course, they use those. And we have uh, uh, lots, of, um, lots of examples of that. Yeah, actually, I would call it magic because ma magic is the belief that you can influence an outcome yeah. by doing certain stuff that connects to it, but the connection is not apparent. Now, I would say if you, some herbs can have magical properties if, for example, they can open spiritual doors for people, but also if they can heal something that at least those people didn't know what the 
active ingredients was. Yeah. I mean, now we can scientific see cause and effect, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so it totally fits in the magical paradigm. And then you also have actually alchemical aspects where you apply, for example, a herb, a vegetable, whatever, and you make it more potent. You help speed up the natural process. I mean, we do it with food in a way. We manipulate the food so it's going to be easier for us to eat, but you can do the same with medicinal yeah. applications. Yeah, yeah, I see. And then I think the last one you are listing is ritual animism. Yeah, that's uh, that's a difficult one. I don't even know what to call that. Uh, this we can okay. find. Boy, the, the, these are so old from all around the world, but we really find a lot of these um, uh, in the Scandinavian folk tradition. It's taking kind of inanimate objects like... Uh, it could be taking a specific branch from a tree and doing something with it or taking a, uh, uh, to take a raven's heart and bury it in a, in a mound and, and it would come out as a magical ring that would give you strength and all right. these different types of things that use different uh, objects in nature that would that you do something with it, some sort of combination, and then it would give some sort of magical uh, effect of that. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I relate it to animism because it's, uh, of course, very hard for most people to believe that you can take these inanimate things and they bring a magical effect. But um, if you think about animism and the fact that these inanimate objects can have some sort of spiritual energy attached to it, then, uh, then that's definitely something uh, that people could understand a bit more of how it works. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. We, we should be understanding also of the fact that neither the Vikings nor the Norse who preceded or followed them were isolated. So there's been influences left and right here. Yeah. Well, I already mentioned how the Viking culture wasn't like one thing. It was an amalgam of different immigration waves uh, prior to that that made the Norse paganism. But if we if we're gonna look for tr because there is two things here. One is the apparent the obvious thing that if you go far enough back, then as you say in one of your videos too that the Germanic tradition, the Norse tradition, and even I think the Celtic tradition is pretty similar. It's just one culture, one people. Yeah. This is if you go really far back to when uh, I think there's only Europe is divided only by three cultures, I think. Yeah. But you also have the fact that we have found huge, uh, like like stuff that comes from far away. We have evidence, like I, I mentioned stuff from the Americans. We have evidence from Islamic, Buddhist, even Chinese. Yep. So how international, um, say something about this. How, how much did we know about what was going on in the world and how much did we interact with it? Yeah, yeah, that's difficult to say, of course, too. That's um, we, we know for sure they traded with the East. We, we have plenty of uh, uh, things found in archaeology that can be... Uh, they can be traced to uh, all, all the way as far as India and China. Um, yeah, the question is, uh, did the Scandinavians make it all the way there? We, we know, confirmed that they made it to the Mediterranean and, and uh, the first part of the Middle East, but did they get all the way to China and India and bring things back with them? Or did they just kind of meet halfway mm. in the Middle East and then uh, trade that way? That's uh that's what uh, that's what uh, basically the question is. But um, yeah, they they definitely had contact with the east. Even if they met halfway, they would have known about the sources. Like okay, so there's something called China where this comes from. I see. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it was it, you know, an, an artifact or or a, a piece of jewelry or a pot or something that they traded with, and it was just there in the Middle East where they traded, or did someone come from China and they were actually meeting those people there, and definitely they could have learned some spiritual things from them as well. So it's uh, it's all interesting, but of course we don't uh, we don't know for sure. Right, and this goes to the question of what tradition to follow because today i mean we live in a modern world and if you look at places like america and australia america i mean uh, including canada and all that and i would say south africa and many places where you know migration so if people come from these countries and they're drawn to the Norse, right? There's the question of, and you have a video on this, so I'd like you to share your perspective on it, but should the Norse revival now that's going on, should that be reserved only for people who are Norwegians or or Scandinavians? (laughs) Or is it a free-for-all? What's your attitude here? Yeah, yeah. So that's always a, a big question on a, a lot of these groups. They uh, they like to fight about these things, and of course, it's people who are on the far left or on the far right who are always the loudest. <laughs> Those are the opinions we hear. Yep. But um, yeah, it's uh, the the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think that's where most people can agree. Most people will feel a calling to their own ancestry and what their own ancestors believed. But like I said. Um, you can learn from any type of uh, spirituality, any type of native religion around the world, just because there are so many missing pieces. I look to Hinduism all the time. I look to Native American spirituality all the time, all these different places um, just to fill in some of the holes. Um, Mm. And of course, uh, a lot of people have Scandinavian ancestry, even if they don't know it. Um, And then really it's, this was a religion, the Norse religion is but just what we call it and, and what was practiced in Scandinavia at the time. But it's really, it was a religion for all the Germanic peoples. And they, of course, migrated throughout all of Europe. So everybody, uh, we can say, at least if they have European ancestry, they have some, they have some ancestor somewhere very far back that, that practiced this Norse uh, paganism, Norse spirituality. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, it's uh, people can do what they want, and people will know where they feel the calling most to. But they should be open to all yeah. all different spiritualities and learn from everything anywhere in the world. Yeah, because these traditions, uh, I believe, have a common root anyway. Yeah, and it's also very hard these days. I mean, if you live in America or Australia, as I said, because we can say, yeah, contact your traditional roots but they have no co- uh, of course they have traditional but that would be aborigine or amero indian right yeah yeah so uh, no wonder there's a lot of interest from those folks but i'd say yeah look if you don't have a local tradition that resonates with you and like i've said before it's always the best to use the local because we are grown up and formated and educated in symbolism which is resonating with our culture and psychology. And although it is possible, for example, for me to give up my entire life and go to Tibet and become a monk there, it would be much easier if I was born and bred there. Uh, It's going to be super hard, like a Tibetan coming to Norway and starting to study and practice the Norse. Actually, he's, he's an advantage because... Uh, like us, we are disconnected with it, so we have to start from scratch, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Whereas yeah. if it's a living tradition, it's going to be easier to just adopt that. But for those who can't, yeah, pick the one that resonates with you, even if it's not 
the one from the place where you live or maybe even if you can't even legitimate it with your ancestors because we know that Vikings took slaves now the slaves weren't treated as awful as for example the transatlantic slave trade yeah exactly but they did and although for example if it was a Christian I don't think they forced them into Norse but they did accept them into Norse yeah so if they did it yeah uh, I, I think we should be as generous too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And you make a point in one of your video of these traditions actually not being that different. For example, you compare it with German stuff. You show how the gods have the just different languages for the same names. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's all all, all the Germanic anywhere where there's Germanic language or or Germanic migration, they uh, at one time had the same religion as the Norse. Um, it's, it's a Germanic religion. It's not a Norse religion, <laughs> just specifically. The Norse is just what lasted the longest before they were Christianized, and it's where we have all of our texts from. Uh, in Old Norse and, of course, uh, Scandinavia is where the texts are from, but it was really a religion of all uh, the Germanic people. So that's uh, they, they, they migrated everywhere in Europe, uh, especially in the migration period. So it's uh, everybody can feel at home uh, almost with this uh, with this spirituality, or at least feel some calling to it. So the Catholics basically crushed all the other versions, so that yeah. the only stuff left was up here. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But you also have a video where you say too much focus on the gods in modern Norse, and then you list entities that were important in our tradition. Can you say a few words of the, about this? Yeah, yeah. So that's um, that's what we have the most um, evidence of being uh, practiced on the daily. The gods in in the sources. And first of all, mo most people in Europe will will know this. I made that video specifically for Americans um, because a lot of them are you know, trying to pray to their gods every day like they would in Christianity. And that's just not how it was practiced historically. The gods were focused on at very specific times of year, um, either for war or for an offering or for a high festival, things like that. Um, uh, they, they were not believed to be in contact with them every day like a lot of people in modern times are expecting. But um, these other spirits, the elves, the uh, trolls uh things like that they were uh they were much more in contact with them every every day almost and we have saga mentions of this and also a lot of laws from scandinavia uh a bit later on in time that were prohibiting pagan practices and that basically tell that these other spiritual entities land spirits also um and things like that they were a much more central part of the daily practice the gods mm. were something that were um, called upon and, and and tried to be used um, for for very specific times in, in the year. Mm. So uh, this is important because uh, in Iceland, for example, because Americans have like romantic notions. Oh, they go to a remote Norwegian fjord or mountain place, and oh, I got in contact with an ancient Norse tradition. Yeah. Forget about it. Okay, yeah. we are raped thoroughly. It's raped out of us yeah. from the Christian tradition. But if you go to Iceland. Actually, we have some survivals in terms of these notions you mentioned, vettir, troll, trolls, you say, help with magic. Yeah. Olv uh, is ancestral spirits. Yeah, yeah. Vettir is land spirits. But Icelanders, even today, there are Icelanders who have a much more living, because we have these notions, we have it. Yes, they survived Christianity, but they 
kind of lost their practical role for us. Trolls became these boogeymen. But if you go to Iceland, they still, there are people still uh, uninterrupted who do have a daily or, or like an everyday relation to these energies or yeah. entities or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, of course, it's it's been a thousand years since we've had the real understanding of what these different entities were believed to be. But um, just the fact that people still know what they are, they still have the same names. Um, maybe the understanding has kind of uh, changed and, and gone down over the past thousand years, but still it's it's in their culture. Yeah. And uh, I mean, look at this. Uh, Filia means follower, yep. protective spirit. I think even in Christianity, you have that notion. Uh, you, you, your guardian angel or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think in Celtic uh, paganism, it's called the fetch, I think, like that. Right. Something. Yeah. So that's a, that's a super basic. Uh, Dees here, I haven't even heard about that, female spirits. But Dees, of course, is fog. So yep. could be a relation there, Dees here. Fog. Yeah. Of course, uh, there are some you, that's not listed in, in, maybe you do list them, but I can't see them here. And that's like um, uh, Nöcken, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hulder, Hulde, Huldra. Yeah, yeah. Um, so many, so many. And then these all yeah. pop up in Scandinavian folk tales and uh, starting in the 1600s, and people automatically assume, oh, those things weren't an original uh, Scandinavian belief uh, from pagan times. And I just, th- those are not Christian things that pop up there. Yeah. <laughs> These are not Christian things. They must have some sort of pagan origin, at least. Yeah. Where else would they come from? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. What about the nine worlds? Uh, I think that's interesting because now we're talking about stuff that you can find in. All, all spiritual religion, they have this concept of the dimensions in existence or, you know, death, all this stuff, Egyptian, yeah. all sorts of uh, traditions where we can draw upon similarities. But what is the Norse version here? Yeah, so Nine Worlds, uh, Neuheim is what is referred to in the old uh, texts. Um, the Nine Worlds are not listed anywhere Uh in the text, they're not listed as these are the nine worlds here. We just know that there were nine worlds or the world isn't even the right way. It's, it should be realms. That's that's the yeah. proper translation. So uh, it um, th- there have been since the 1800s, 1900s, some different historians have come up with these nine worlds and theorized what they might be. Um, but um, yeah, they don't. Uh, they don't know, of course. They're, they're not listed in any of the old Norse texts, but um, we just know that there were nine realms. Mm. So do they name them or say anything about what they mean? Not really. It's all it's all symbolic, of course. Uh, we, we, of course, comparing it to other um, uh, religions around the world, of course, they, they all believed in different dimensions, and we do too. So I think in um, Celtic, they believed in five and uh, different uh, it's different numbers uh different numbers of dimensions yeah. depending on which uh, spirituality it is around the world but um yeah the norse at least we know for sure they believed in nine um what they are we we have no clue there's lots of theories and my video goes over uh, some of what those are but uh, yeah, it's it's not something that we know uh, for sure mm. okay that's interesting so uh, oh there's so much we don't have time for everything <laughs> let's take uh, some quick ones Yule, we say Yule still. Actually, that survived Christianization. Everywhere else they call it Christmas. 
Mass for Christ, but we still call it Yule. Now, I've argued to people who, I'm annoyed when Norwegians write it Yod, Uh, that's Y U L E. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because isn't that an Anglification of the word Yule? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's yeah. kind of they they think they're very pagan when they do this. Yeah, yeah. What they really are doing is the opposite. They're showing, oh look, I'm influenced by America uh, by English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they call they call it this Yule Tide. And what that come from is uh, some of the uh, the Scandinavian settlers in the 1800s and 1900s. They would come to America, Minnesota area, and they would say Yuletid. We we, we know right. that in Christmas time in in Norwegian. Right. But then of course the Americans change that and and uh, they just call it Yule Tide. <laughs> it just uh, it sounds horrible. It makes sense. Uh, totally Nissimon English, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just lost the understanding. Standing and what it means it just means christmas time and yuletide is right. <laughs> i don't know that's a, just a bad word for that that's funny is this connected to your video series i haven't seen them but i'm gonna call cringe pagans <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh yeah i haven't made it tell us a little about that i haven't made a video about that but uh, i will soon that's uh, it's just a theories as uh, a series that i'm making i only have a few episodes now they're quick 30 second clips just making fun of all of these oh, okay, fun, yeah. funny pagans that we uh that we see online that just are yeah, not not getting things very historically accurate at all yeah i mean look at vicka vicka is created in the 50s by a guy who was partly he was into co-freemasonry le droit to man yeah, and partly yeah. he was into one of the magical orders was it golden dawn um yeah So it's a complete, you know, it, it's nothing to do with traditional uh, uh, yeah. survival of a kind of a witchcraft tradition, but they want to force it into that. So they are deluding themselves. Yeah. I'm not saying there's no survival of pagan traditions. I know for sure there is, but that's not it. But you have a video about something. I think I even mentioned it. It's uh, probably accurate and that's witches and broomsticks. Yeah, yeah. Could that derive from cider? Yeah, yeah. So that that's my theory. I haven't uh, I haven't read that anywhere else, so that that could be wrong. But uh, looking at um, what cider was, it was uh, you know shameful. There was always a staff involved. There was a witch getting into this trance-like state and and things like that, um, and giving her prophecies and and, and magic, but. This is very, very similar, I thought, to the stories of uh, witches on broomsticks that we hear from much later on in time, uh, exactly. until the 1600s. And we know for sure that um, that uh, witches would put this cream, especially in uh, Scandinavia. We have uh, quite a few stories about this and, uh, around the witch trials and thing. But again, it's all over Europe. They would put this cream or salve um, on their broomstick and they'd rub it on... Uh, on uh, areas of their body where it could be um, absorbed through the sweat glands. And, and that would give them the, the effects of whatever hallucinogenic or, or, or uh, salve they would be in. So I just thought that had a very, very similar yeah. uh, aspect to Saidit. And I think that um, that's also what Saidit probably evolved in because staffs were actually made illegal. You were no longer uh, allowed to uh, own a staff um, because they thought it would be pagan magic. So they would have done this thing, but it would have been on a broomstick. So it could have been, that's just my theory. It could be some evolution of that. 
Yeah, but uh, you know what? Other people have thought the same as you, yeah, okay. which is good news because that just confirms. Yeah. They put this bulmurt, among other things, on, yeah, yeah. on these sticks and they became horny from it. Yeah, yeah. So I can I can totally see how a Christian monk or a priest could ah oh, Satanism, devil worship, you know, yeah, yeah. some old tradition that survived. Yep. But uh, another interesting thing is uh, blut. What would you say blut is? You you, you were not uh, listing that in the nine different types of magic. Yeah. Yeah, so blut is just the offering. Uh, there was it was the main, basically the main practice of paganism uh, that was outlawed when Christianity came. And blut is just at very specific times of year, giving an offering. It would usually be an animal sacrifice, and it's uh, it's not exactly uh, what people think it is. It's not doing some kind of evil. Mm. You know, uh, the satanic worship type uh, ritual like that. It was just simply a slaughter of the animals and an offering to the spirits or the gods, and leave some of the animal, uh, some of the animal part left for the for the birds or or predatory animals, whatever. And then, um, of course, having a feast. So they ate the animal, right? They ate the animal. They didn't just they they, they slaughtered it and, and they ate it. It was always right. they didn't just slaughter the animal and leave it there uh, to, to be taken over by nature. They left the inedible parts out and um, they ate the animal. This was a feast. This was a party. This was a happy right. time that the whole country, children, uh, men, women, all participated in. It was a it was a normal part of life. Uh, three, maybe four times a year. So they basically did the same as the Amerindians. They were actually better than the Christian because a Christian would just kill the animal and be done with it and eat it. Whereas we try to put it into a kind of a sacred context, right? Like, uh, I thank for this gift or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And we see this tradition, uh, I think, uh, all the way up until the 1800s in Scandinavia. People were, Mm. it was very, very illegal still. So they were not able to do the whole huge festival as it was done in uh, pre-Christian times. But um, they they would leave out offerings on tree stumps and out to nature and and things like that. And there was actually laws forbidding it all the way up until the 1700s, I think. So people were still doing it at this time. Yeah. No, I mean, if you look at, uh, for example, Yule, uh, Christmas tradition, we we have uh, what survived there. I, I don't know if that was outlawed, but putting out food to the wood creatures or the farm, the ancestor spirits or whatever. Yeah, yeah. To Nissna. Yeah. We call it Nissa. Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of similar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's... Uh... Yeah, I'm sure that's a very, very old tradition. Not uh, <laughs> these kinds of things are not Christian. They uh, no. they come from a much, much older time than that. Absolutely, I've been in pagan um, celebrations of the seasons. The, they were very important in the old religions yep. to mark because the old religions were cyclical based, whereas the Abrahamic religions are like a linear thing. They believe in. Uh, something starting and then getting better and better and better and then uh, a a collapse or something like a doomsday. And this is the same you see in our culture all over. We we see it in transhumanism, in in scientism, not science, but scientism, the religious worshipping of science images. Like, for example, this belief that we were super stupid and now we're just getting better and better and better and better. Yeah. So this is a linear understanding, which is completely different from anything that has preceded us in the world, all over the world. Yeah. 
And uh, so it would be interesting to know a little about how we worship these seasons. Do you have something to say about that? Yeah, it's... Um, I know you have videos on it. Yeah, there's... Um, there there were certain rituals, of course, and certain practices um, all, all, all over throughout uh, the different seasons. Um, I don't think we have a lot of it in writing, Um but of course, we know all all pagan cultures um, had some sort of seasonal worship and and traditions, and some sort of uh, festival or celebration of the seasons coming and ending, and uh, hoping that, of course, in the Norse, this was a, a very uh, important practice. Hoping and, and doing some certain rituals that uh, the summer would come back to life, because if it was winter all the time, then we would be in very big trouble. Yeah. So, um, uh, do we know uh, how they did it? No, there was. We we have some records of, you know, the festivals and uh, the practices they did, especially at um, uh, Halloween time, um, which was their New Year. Actually, um, it would have been uh, called Vetternatted, and that was their New Year, basically marking the end of the year, the death of the summer and the light. Uh, this is sometimes interpreted to be the death of Baldr, the Norse god. Mm. And um, then the winter comes, and to avoid uh, the Jagnaruk uh, that, that would be coming, we do these certain uh, rituals and uh, plant seeds, of course. And, uh, and um, yeah, hopefully the, the summer comes back so we can uh, bring life and food to everything again. That is just, uh, there's lots of theories on that and, and an interpretation that Baldr's uh, funeral and uh, all of that is filled with rituals that uh, that we humans actually used to do at that time. But that uh, that's all theories, and it could take uh, take an hour to go over those. Right. No, I, I get that. But um, uh, what about um, blood magic? You do mention it, and I know that's a disputed uh, point. What could you tell us about that? Yeah. So uh, we know that they. Um, they would use blood. Uh, at least I, I know of two records of that. Um, of course, for the uh, the bloods, the the sacrifices, um, they would redden the hurge, the, the altar, with blood. So that would always be done. And also um, different uh, mentions of rune magic that we read about in the sagas. They would they would carve the runes and then redden those with blood. Um, and uh, not not exactly sure why that was done, uh, but uh, that doesn't say anything in the sources. But we know that it was done. That blood was believed to aid some of these things, and it uh, had some sort of uh, yeah, specific uh, energy or power uh, associated with it. Mm. That's interesting. So, um, a couple of more points before we have to close shop for today. Yeah. Uh, the gods. Uh, you have one video here. Uh, question if they could have been real people uh, coming from Turkey or, or the area around the Black Sea. Yep. What's your attitude to that? Yeah, so that could be for many, many different reasons. Um, yeah, we, we definitely have records. There are many records in all of these chronicles and sagas uh, all over the north of Europe that the gods uh, came in from different places and that the gods were actually real people living at different times. Um, some sources say they were from uh, uh, Thracia, which is right uh, above uh, modern-day Turkey. Some sources say they were maybe from um, north of the Black Sea, so maybe Ukraine uh, area or Caucasus Mountains, and they immigrated here thousands of years ago. Um, but then there are, of course, more recent stories of the gods living as, uh, around the migration period. Um, 
uh, so, so we're not quite sure what all this means. Were they real people? Don't know. Um, it could be just kind of the Christian authors trying to make the gods into real people. So, so, so they're, so the people living at the time would just realize that their ancestors were the gods and they were not to be worshipped as uh, pagan gods like that. Mm. And there's also the fact that these could have probably been real people but simply named after the gods that they were already worshiping, mm. um, you know, like calling, uh, calling a kid a uh, toid or Odin, mm. like we still do in Scandinavia today. This could also yeah. be very possible. There are different reasons and we, we, we can't be for sure. Mm. That's interesting. But uh, what about this Eastern influence of chakras and uh, also the lotus position? I see you, you mentioned a couple of things about that. I mean, that's not that weird, given that the Indian, original Indian traditions are related to ours. But no. do you think this is a common origin or do you think it could be a later influence? Yeah, exactly. That's always the question when looking at these similarities. Uh, is it influenced? Was it someone in Scandinavia who traveled to India and learned these things and brought it back? Or was it um, was it uh, just two or visitors from India? Yeah, yeah, or, or visitors from there as well. Or, or was it that? Or was it just two separate cultures that evolved very differently? But after eight thousand years, they you know they turned into very very much similar things, and they made the same spiritual discoveries. I, I believe that's more likely mm. that uh, we started out as one same religion long ago, and we just made these same sort of spiritual discoveries and discovered these truths that um, and, and we call them different things, of course. But uh, yeah, I think that's more likely that we just develop these things by ourselves. Yeah, I, I suppose we could say that's Occam's Racer. But another possibility is is not either or, but both and. Mm-hmm. That there is a common uh, source, then we encounter a more modern version of that. We recognize, oh my God, you guys are speaking of much the same as we do. Especially in the pre-Christian times, that should not be a big deal because then they were used to probably more pagan stuff going on in uh, further down in Europe than up here. We were probably just peasants in their eyes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so when we kind of meet others, um, it may not even have happened here, it may have happened elsewhere in Europe, then I could see how that could be taken back home. By let's Because who would be prone to travel? It would be people who had resources and cultivation and education, who would then also be more Not just a random peasant, right? But someone who would... And and they may have traveled for spiritual purposes. I wouldn't be surprised if these were Swedes, for example. Yeah, yeah, probably. (laughs) Who did go Far East. Yeah. Very concerned about the traditions and who did probably meet people like that. So I can can easily see that scenario too, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what about... And this is a big thing because people know today that females have had a prominent position. They do it today, of course, but maybe also back in the time. So first off, did we have female warriors? In Vikings, females are for the most represented as under men, like kind of the possession of a man, especially if they're married. But to what extent do we know about the position of females? And also, are these Valkyria images authentic? Yeah, yeah. So that's all. Uh, that's a big subject, and I, I made a video about it. Um, 
quite a while back. There is some new um, archaeological finds coming out, so I'm waiting until uh, until those come out before I make up my mind. But um, yeah, what we can say is women in Scandinavia in the Viking Age were treated better than women anywhere else in the world. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, they were very protected, and I, I don't believe that in the Viking Age that they were bringing their most beloved women and wives and sisters and things to battle with them. All of the sagas basically show more, more instances of protecting women and, and keeping them out of danger and things mm. like that. Um, before the Viking age, I, I actually think uh, that women maybe participated in battles, maybe not fighting, but spirituality wise. And that is where these Valkyries come from. The women, we know that women in uh, Roman times, uh, Germanic tribes were uh, accompanied by their women and the women would stand on the sideline, um, uh, shouting at them and encouragement and, and uh, showing their breasts and things like that. We have uh, <laughs> Roman records of that. So uh, I, in my opinion, I think that's, uh, that's kind of battle magic. And Moral support. Yeah, moral support, but also spiritual support. And, mm. and, and in my opinion, and I think this is what the Valkyries uh, originally were. That's a brand new theory for me. I, I need to do some more digging into it. I only thought about that in the past month, but um, I think uh, I, that's what I believe now. But again, I, I'm going to look a lot more at these things and uh, and see what happens with these new archaeological finds and, and, and think about it uh, later on in the year. Yeah. Now, that's uh, one of the things I like about you. You're not a dogmatic guy here. You're, you're trying to, you're evolving as you're learning. That's super important that, because yeah, yeah. too many people have an agenda and are married to certain notions and that emotional bias is driving them rather than truth seeking. And you, you'll get nothing in spirituality if you're not a truth seeker. Yeah. You have to be a merciless truth seeker, yeah. even when it goes against your own uh, holy cows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Difficult sometimes, of course. I'm, I'm not perfect. Even me, I have some beliefs sure, sure. that I want to believe, but you just mm. have to try and keep an open mind and not let uh, not let your own beliefs or what you want to believe come out. Just look at what makes the most sense. Yeah. And uh, as for women, we know that, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, they could have possessions, for example. They could have slaves. So it would probably be better to be a woman here at that point than in one of the Catholic countries, for example. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. Now, I think we'll, we'll call it a day. Let's uh, just uh, give a shout out again to your channel. Uh, what was the name again? Yeah, Norse Magic and Beliefs is the channel. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, pretty new. It's it's grown uh, very much in the past month. It was uh, just a small, small channel. I made it a year ago, but in the past month, it's grown like crazy. So uh, yeah. let's see what happens. And uh, yeah, and anyone wants to check it out, they are welcome to. Because I don't think uh, uh, you, your subject matter is not branded by YouTube. As, YouTube has different algorithms. Uh, obviously, you're not on the corporate algorithm. Uh, sure. If this was like 10 years ago, five years ago, 
you will naturally grow it very fast. But now you're on the naughty list algorithm, but they have different levels too. And unless they suspect, I mean, YouTube may think you, oh, this is some kind of Nazi thing. Then you're going to go on the worst algorithm, which I am at. But I think you have avoided that. And that means actually hope to grow your channel to a certain extent you can. So, uh, yeah, I I really wish you luck with the channel. I I really hope it will take off. Thank you. And I think it will. But for people who hasn't been there, I have to say, you got a lot of practical stuff, which is very like useful stuff. For example, uh, beginner's tips for Norse paganism, stone and crystal magic use, um, other titles I can read here. Um, how did uh, they celebrate this festival? So it's like you're trying to educate them on a multi-approach level here, I would say. Yeah, and, and always trying to use the sources. That's, uh, this is the main problem on YouTube and the internet. People are making these videos, but they're just talking. With me, every single one of my videos, I tell where the source is from and what it says. And uh, and yeah, that's at least, it doesn't tell us much sometimes, but it can at least give us, it can point us in the right direction. So that's a very scholarly approach. You 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 distinguish between when it's your own speculation or theory and when it's actually a source. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very important to do. So um, I, I saw somewhere that you were into wrestling or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, MMA. That's that's what I do. That's uh, that's like my... Joe Rogan, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's my real dream. So uh, we'll see. I haven't I haven't been able to get a fight now since uh, since COVID came in. But um, right. that's uh, that's what I'm really here in the world to do is fighting. So uh, the wow. YouTube is great, but uh, fighting is what I really am giving a hundred percent focus on right now. So look out in the next few years, I guess. Have you heard about? I have a friend. He's from the. He's from Haugesund, West Southwest. Yep. He showed me. I think it was a martial arts magazine where a guy. I think he was Norwegian. Could have been a Swede. No, I think he was Norwegian. He talked about the tradition in his family that he said went back to the Viking times, and that was like a, a kind of a fighting technique, kind of similar to Eastern. Yeah, glima, Pro- probably glima. Yeah. Okay, what what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that uh, that again is uh, wrestling has been a part. Wrestling is the oldest sport of all of all humans. We all did this, uh, and it was a very important sport going back many thousands of years. Uh, Greeks, Roman, everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it was called glima in the old Norse. We have many old Norse tales of uh, of wrestling, and of course, uh, this tradition has kind of been continued. And, and it's called glima. It's it's small, but uh, there's definitely still some practitioners uh, today in Norway, especially in Iceland, is where it's popular. Um, there's a very specific uh, type of wrestling with uh, uh, specific uh, rules interesting so he he this guy who was in a magazine he claimed he had it in his family so i, I suppose they could let that survive because it's not necessarily a threat to christianity yeah, yeah. Uh, christians were not above uh, murdering and fighting and everything oh have you looked into this since you are into wrestling yeah it's uh um 
wrestling, of course, we know it was done. It's just the rule set, right? That uh, that comes with modern uh, glima. Like how many of those rules um, and, and how much of that style can be traced back to uh, Viking times? Uh, we don't know. Of course, they wrestled. Of course, we probably wrestled for hundreds of thousands of years. But um, exactly what the rule set is and what the style is and the techniques that we don't know. But um, yeah, that's I, I would say. Definitely most of the modern uh, practitioners of Glima, it's, it probably most of it, uh, uh, it was similar to the style that might have been practiced uh, a long ago. Yeah, this guy also, I think that he was using uh, what we in Norwegian call stuck. Uh, what's that in English? Wand? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Or staff. Staff. Maybe. Okay, could be. Okay. And you're a musician too, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's just on the that's just on the side. I'm like, uh, right. I like techno music, so I, I make those uh, I make those songs. They're not good yet, but I hope uh, <laughs> I hope in the future I'll I'll, uh, I'll get some more skills and be making some better music, and that would be uh, that would be something interesting too. I, I'm surprised it's techno. I would imagine it was more like uh, what, what's it called the uh, uh, the most popular now Viking music. Uh, they used it in Vikings too. Oh, there's Bardruna. Vardruna, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, something like that. I would expect from you. Oh, so that, that's my favorite. <laughs> I, I love all the folk music, and I love metal too. But I'm not good at playing instruments. <laughs> I think those guys came out of a black metal band, actually. Yeah, yeah, they did black metal, um, and yeah. Because uh, I knew I knew the guys in Gorgoroth, yeah, yeah. friends of mine. Yeah, I think Einar, uh, he he was the drummer in Gorgoroth. Yeah, he is the skinhead, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, with the long uh, braided beard. In Vardruna, yeah. Right. So he's the one who took Vardruna further. That's, yeah, wow. Yeah. The, uh, I shouldn't say anything on air about them. <laughs> it's not polite. Yeah, so. But uh, yeah, I observed they were interested in spirituality back in the day. So that's great. that he, Because it's pretty good music. I'm into Norse music. Yeah. And I, I can't stand many of these new, uh, I mean, traditional Norse music like Kalanda Maya, for example, or oh, yeah, yeah. but many of these new that comes out of the rock genre, they are. It's not, but I would say that Vadruna has really hit a nerve. I think their their music is is a very good. Uh, there are others too like that. Isn't one of them named Gota? I think this. And and then there's Imstammen. Have you heard them? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And Heilung is also a very very popular one now. Right, never heard of them. Yeah. All these kinds. Right, okay. I think I'm going to uh, end this show today with a song from Imstaman. Have you heard the one where they sing about how we were Christianed? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Ah, no. <laughs> you never heard that one? Oh, it's no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, you're going to enjoy it now then. Because we're gonna, uh, I'm gonna play it now. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, is there anything you want to add before we um, part? Yeah, well, that's it. Thank you so much for having me. That was a really, really good conversation. And um, yeah, I will. Uh, Hang on, you don't have a website? No website. Okay. Um, I have an Instagram, and I have kind of an online uh, business, uh, but that's uh, that's something else. I sell different training, uh, training gear and, and apparel, things like that. But that's uh, ah, you can give a shout out for that. Sure. What's the website? Yeah, it's uh, uh, Norse Combat Sportswear on Shopify. 
Hmm. That uh, that that's not that's just barely set up now, and things will be for sale soon. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's something different. That's all having to do with training gear and things like that. Sure, but uh, no, go and check out his YouTube channel, Norse Magic and Beliefs. You you love the videos if you're just remotely interested in in, in history or, or spirituality or Norse, you love it. So that's it. That's it. Thanks a lot for coming on uh, today, Thor. And. Uh, educating us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Okay, thank you for praten and all that. So we'll hold contact. Yeah, really happy to have you with us. And lykke till vidare med kanalen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
Now, this song you just heard is called The Quad of Vengeance by the aforementioned group Imstammen, which means the tribe of Emir. Uh, when this show comes out on YouTube, I'm going to give an English translation of the lyrics on the video because it's so text-based, this song. It's an old band, they were active more than 20 years ago and don't have a YouTube or Spotify channel but some of their old material will be available soon as a record company in my hometown Bergen has picked them up for a re-release this coming winter. Incidentally, I'm currently discussing with the guy behind the band to have him on for a conversation about runes seeing as he is formally educated in Iron Age history and runology. So, like I said in the show, pay attention for much more in this Norse series. And remember to subscribe to us at ODC, whatever podcast platform you usually use. And of course, screw YouTube, where you have to double check that you're still subbed to our channel, seeing as the algo unsubs people on our behalf. And also make sure the bell is hit with notifications for all updates. Come on. We only release two shows a month, so it's not as if you'll be spammed. Finally, let me end this episode with some quotes from Hova Mål, meaning sayings of the High One, referring to Odin, which is a scripture going back to at least the 1200s and regarded as one of the most important sources of Old Norse philosophy. If aware that another is wicked, say so. Make no treaty with foes. Where you recognize evil, speak out against it and give no truces to your enemies. Wherever you know of harm, regard that harm as your own and give your foes no peace. 
Wealth dies. Friends die. One day you too will die. But the thing that never dies is the judgment on how you have spent your life. A farm of your own is better, even if small. Everyone's someone at home. A clear head is good company. Drink is a dangerous friend. Drink your mead, but in moderation. Best is the banquet one looks back on after and remembers all that happened. Advice given by others is often ill counsel. Affection is mutual when men can open all their heart to each other. He whose words are always fair is untrue and not to be trusted. A man should be loyal through life to friends and return gift for gift. Strong desire may stupefy heroes and dull the wits of the wise. To love a woman whose ways are false is like sledding over slippery ice with unshod horses out of control. Fairest we speak, when falsest we think, many a maid is deceived. It happens often enough that beauty ensnares the wise with desire, while the foolish remain unmoved. The cautious guest who comes to the table speaks sparingly, listens with ears, learns with eyes. Such is the seeker of knowledge. All guests should speak good of their host, or not speak at all. Go you must, no guest shall stay in one place forever. Love will be lost if you sit too long at a friend's fire. He is truly wise, who's travelled far and knows the way of the world. Better gear than good sense a traveller cannot carry, better than riches for a wretched man, far from his own home. The traveller must train his wits, all is easy at home. He who knows little is a laughingstock amongst men of the world. About his intelligence no man should be boastful, rather cautious of mind. Speak useful words, or be silent. An ill-tempered, unhappy man ridicules all he hears, makes fun of others, refusing always to see the faults in himself. To ask well, to answer rightly, are the marks of a wise man. A glib tongue that goes on chattering sinks to its own harm. These things are thought the best. Fire, the sight of the sun, good health, with a gift to keep it, and a life that avoids vice. Wealth may vanish in the wink of an eye. Gold is the falsest of friends. The worst sickness for a wise man is to crave what he cannot enjoy. It befits a man to be merry and glad until the day of his death. Enjoy the good you are given. And that's what you're given today. Thanks for dropping by. I've been your host Al, thanks to my team and your support. Peace in you.
who is number one?